Welcome to Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hua Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. I'm joined by two of my co-hosts and a special guest for this week, Joe Yao. She is one of the co-hosts of For the Plot and our expert in the topic this week. Before we go into her, who are my other two co-hosts? I'm Ruby Dobbs, <laughs> a filmmaker in the D.C. area. That's never happened before. We've never like done the awkward dance around that. Um, I am Anya Crittenton, a writer and editor in Los Angeles, and uh, clearly very awkward today on the pod. Whoops. That's okay. That's okay. We're all talk. We're talking. To- it's okay to be awkward because teenagers are awkward, and the the theme of the episode is Little Women, which is a book about teenagers. Uh, <laughs> that's how I was able to segue this. Um, yeah, we're talking Nesticle. all about Little Women. We're doing. We're going to talk about the movie that just came out, um, written and directed by Greta Gerwig, um, starring Saoirse Ronan, Timothy Chalamet, Florence Pugh, uh, Laura Dern, and I don't remember Eliza Scanlon, Meryl Streep, Bob Odenkirk, Chris Cooper. Um, Willoughby, you go, didn't even go, mention your girl, Emma Watson. Emma Watson oh, is I there, too. Well, she was basically just there. Poor Meg. Poor Meg. Meg. Forgotten. Meg, Meg, Meg only does so much in this, uh, which is, a, you know, she's 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 Meg. Um, yes, Emma Watson, who uh, growing up, I definitely had a crush on. Um, and this. Yeah. So we're talking. We're, ta- we're going to talk about the books. We're going to talk about adaptations. We're going to talk about the movie. Um, and Joe, as as our guest, um, let me ask you this: What is your connection to Little Women? Well, thank you so much for asking. Thanks for having me. Um, Little Women has been one of my favorite books ever since I was a kid. So I think I was literally that precocious child who found the fattest book in the library and was like, "Challenge accepted." Uh, and so I picked it up and I read it when I was in maybe fifth grade and I, I immediately had to buy my own copy and wore it out. Like the spine, if you see my old copy is just like cracked right down, like all the, all the, my favorite parts. Um, but so as a huge book stan, I have actually never been fully satisfied with any adaptation of Little Woman. Um, I think the closest that I came before Greta Gerwig's adaptation was the 1949 film starring uh, June Allison, Elizabeth Taylor, kind of a bunch of random people. (laughs) But um, I think that most closely hewed to the spirit of the book. And I think I really liked that June Allison was beautiful, but unconventionally so. You know, um, that was sort of my problem with like, I know everyone loves the 1994 version, but I think Winona Ryder was not the correct choice for Joe, honestly. Um, she's too wayfish. She's too delicate. She didn't quite, even though she had the right independent spirit and everything, she didn't have that really rough and tumble sense of, you know, I want to be a boy. I would go off and fight in the war, you know. I am actually surprised that you preferred the 1949 version to 1933 version because Catherine Hepburn mm. is just so phenomenal in the 33 version. I feel like for me, I also am like hit or miss with Winona Ryder. I think she's beautiful, but she mm-hmm. is a little bit too, I guess, romantic for Joe. Um, yes. But Catherine Hepburn is just like the embodiment of of Joe. She's so fiery and funny and like mm. we and like a little bit and. 
uh, very rough around the edges. And I actually did not really like the 49 version because I it was uh. just too much for me, like a more stodgy version of the or retelling of the 1933 version. But that's... Yeah. Um, uh, I'm I'm interested to see like hear what else you think about Little Women, Joe. Yeah, I mean it's so interesting you bring up the 33 version because I think um, the performances were on point in that one, but I think it was the overall way everything tied together in the 49 spoke mm. to me more for some reason, I you know. Um, but I do think overall something that most adaptations have suffered from that Gerwig's does not is the fact that most of them tend to focus almost exclusively on Joe. And they have very little interest in the other sisters. And it it really narrows the focus of the film to a point where it's just like, well, why even call it Little Women and not Joe March? Yeah, you know, for sure. That's, that's why I had no interest in the musical, to be honest. Um, that's why I got really emotional, actually, over the fact that Gerwig's film started at the back half of the book and st- and went back in flashbacks to their childhood, because no one is ever actually interested in delving into the really complicated, nitty-gritty parts of being women in that time. You know, a lot of the times people just want to gloss over the fact that, like, okay, obviously Louisa May Alcott put in certain things to be contrarian and you know, um, this, that, and the other. But she had so many other interesting elements in there with Beth, her whole arc, um, finally coming around to accepting that she was never going to reach maturity the way the other girls are and her journey to accepting that, you know. Um, Meg and her journey to finding some equilibrium with her husband and discovering how to be equal partners in her own marriage and Amy discovering, you know, who she is and discovering that she doesn't have to compromise her sense of self in order to find security and love and a stable future. And I think those are all just as valuable as Joe's arc in um, becoming a published author in becoming a fully realized person who knows that she has emotional needs as well. So yeah, I think really Gerwig's adaptation is the most complete of all the ones that I've seen so far. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm very happy with it. That's my, that's my personal take on it. That's great. Um, I actually wanted to ask you, Joe, before we get into mm. all of our separate sort of um, experiences with Little Women, why do you think this story has remained such an enduring classic that with Gerwig's adaptation, it's being praised as so uh, refreshing and modern? Why do you think that it can still appeal to so many audiences and so many readers still today? Hmm. I think because you can still see the ways in which gender night dynamics play out you know um a lot of the same things still apply today to be honest um in terms of whether or not you can make enough money to support yourself and also your family whether or not your dreams are a viable option um i think there's just a lot in it it's a lot about heart and about family but also about where you are economically and um, the structures of society and how you can manage to divert expectations both within your family and also within a larger social structure. So, 
Yeah, I think there are some qualities about that that are pretty timeless. Yeah, I think so for sure. Um, but yeah, thanks for that great just um, breakdown of what makes Little Women so great and what makes this new Greta Gerwig version so great. I absolutely love the Gerwig film. I've seen it twice and I've already changed my best of decade list to include Little Women because I really do yes. think it is just such a phenomenal film that will stay with me. And honestly, it I connected with it even more than Gerwig's last uh, award-winning film, Lady Bird. Just I I know because I have my own like personal connection with Little Women, the story itself. But I think that she brought it to life in such a strong, rich, and vibrant way that um, it's just, uh, it's a movie that sticks with me. Um, so I guess yeah. I'm going next. <laughs> um, I uh, love Little Women since I was a kid. I um, got the book from my mom actually she would just buy me lots of classics um, that she used to love when she was a child Little Woman was also one of her favorites and she would just kind of leave them in my bookshelf as sort of almost like presents not really she was, it was almost like an assignment and also like a present because I would just find them and I'm like oh great another book to read and Little Woman was the book um, among all like the penguin you know classics you know, with the little logo that I reread over and over again. It's the book that has like the most uh, torn, shattered spine of all of them. And it's one that I've just, I keep going back to. And I do find it to be such a universal coming of age story. I love that it's almost like a series of vignettes kind of about these, the four girls growing up in uh, Civil War and post-Civil War America. And uh, just kind of dealing with things that are of the time and yet feel utterly timeless. And I admit when I was young that I was a major Joe fan, but I think that a lot of the readers of Little Women were. They always think of themselves as a Joe because they're the young bookworm and they think themselves really independent and ferocious and fierce. Um, And perhaps a lot of the hatred that I hold towards Amy or held towards Amy and a lot of readers is of that insecurity of not wanting to be that sort of vain preening brat of a sister um, who goes through the best arc and development of the story and which I only now realize and must now you know eat my words because Anya has been telling this to me for I don't know a year and a half now and I have been steadfast in my hatred of Amy and I now must admit that I'm wrong and that the Gerwig movie has showed me the light but it's not Gerwig who did this because she was just expanding upon the emotional sensitivity and intelligence that Amy had from the beginning. Mm. And I must say that I uh, was just blind to it. Anya is just like, I won't say like, <laughs> like she's not smug, but she's just <laughs> grinning like, yes, it's finally come about. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little smug. <laughs> but it's just really funny to me because like um, after the movie, I was like, wow, I would die for Amy because like Anya said, she is a character who goes through so much development and um is a character who is uh un unjustly hated upon because she is very strong in her own ways and yet is um is someone who doesn't sacrifice her own beliefs or personality for other people which i found to be really admirable and um i always love a a good character development arc i love a good arc and I really love Amy's arc and how it just kind of made her true colors shine even more brightly. 
But I have to say, like, after I watched this, I watched this this, uh, once on on my own as a press screening. I wrote a review for it. You can read it on SlashFilm.com. And then I watched it again with my family. And um, my sister uh, was was not as taken with Amy in this film as I was. Uh, She she doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm just going to quote her. (laughs) She said she was annoying. And when I asked her what about, like, the blistering speech that she gives about marriage to Timothy Chalamet's Lori. And she said, well, she was just parroting what other people had told her. She was less annoying as an adult, but still annoying. And I was like, I then very passively tweeted about it because it was something that kind of grinded my gears, especially in the way that she worded it. Annoying has always been a word for me that has um, been used to describe mostly female characters and female characters that are unlikable and it's a very reductive and shallow way of looking at a character without looking with uh, looking at a, like an unlikable female character and a flawed female character without taking in all the nuances to that and so it's something that's been used to to describe my lovely my, my love my beloved Sansa Stark it's been something that's been used to describe Skylar White in Breaking Bad and it's a word that reeks of misogyny for me and I think mm. that a lot of the um, uh, hatred, dis- uh, the uh, well, I guess hatred is a strong word, but the um, I guess hatred, the hatred that I felt for Amy March, I feel like is is somewhat rooted in that internalized misogyny, which we can go mm. into a little later. And I would love to talk about that more. But yeah, I I agree with you, Joe. I think that Gerwig's film is the best encapsulation of Louise May Alcott's book in that it gives equal spotlight to all of the women it's the little woman it's not just joe even though louisa may alcott did have sort of um, a preference for joe because she is sort of her her stand-in she herself was a um an avid bookworm and writer and um in a sort of fun meta nod to louisa may alcott's own life the ending of the new gerwig little woman has her publisher pressuring her to change the ending of her book so that um, her heroine gets married which was something that louisa may alcott has to do for little woman she herself never got married in real life so i thought that was really interesting Mm. um where was i going but yes (laughs) i i love the new gerwig film and i i've always loved little woman i'm happy that this is a, a, a adaptation that really brings to like to life that world that she actually created and a world that I never wanted to leave as a kid and I never want to leave now as an adult. So, um, Anya, I, I, I want to ask what your sort of personal experience with Little Women has been and uh, what your thoughts on the new Greta Gerwig adaptation were. All right. Um, well... I, despite how much I love Little Women, it might shock you guys to learn that I didn't read Little Women until college. So I did not grow up with Little, well, I grew up with it, but story time. Uh, Little Women is my mom's favorite book of all time. And literally my entire childhood, she wanted me to read it. She would call me her little Joe and she'd be like, you need to read this book. You're going to love it. It's my favorite book. Like, this is what it's about. And she'd always be like, you are so like Joe March, like you are Joe, you're my little Joe. And I'd be like, you know, no, a kid never wants to be told what to do. So I stubbornly did not. Yep. Yep. I stubbornly did not read Little Women. Um, And then I went to college 
and I left my parents for the very first time. Um, and I fell in love. I just, I fell in love with the book. I was like, I, I called my mom and I was like, mom, you were so right. I, I love this book. I love these women. I love this story. I love everything about it. Um, and I recognize that I am Joe March. Like I know everyone always says it, but like, I definitely feel like I am most like Joe of the sisters, but Amy has been my favorite March sister since day one. Um, and I, I do wonder if it's partly because I read it as an adult for the first time. And so I saw Amy with much different eyes than people who read it as children growing up. Um, and so Amy has been my girl since the beginning. Um, and that's why I've been telling HT that she's wrong this whole time. And finally glad she's come to realize that. I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> wrong. I was wrong. Amy is the best. <laughs> Okay. She is the best. Yeah. She is the best. Um, I think it is enough I, that original sin of her like burning the book. Everyone's like, how oh, could you do that? And then I, I have to I, remind I, them that she was a child. Yeah. I have, I have to be like, she was like 11 or 12 when she did that. And like, like she says in the movie and in the book, like she wanted to hurt Joe. Mm -hmm. And she didn't, she couldn't think of another way because she herself has felt so hurt by Joe and so slighted by her. Um, yeah. And so I, I think, think it it's also, sorry. No, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, it's it's important that she also saw Joe as so almost otherworldly strong and intelligent and important that almost nothing else could hurt her, mm -hmm. you know? I think even this, she was like, she'll be annoyed and upset in some way, but it won't be devastating. Yeah. Because to Amy, it's just like, Joe's Joe. She's indomitable. She's going to bounce back from this. But I can I can at least punch up in this one way. I also right, right. want to say one more thing before we go on is that I really love how the new Gerwig mo movie adds, um, kind of brings forth, brings forward uh, Joe's temper more. She makes, mm -hmm. it makes her more imperfect and uh, more prone to flying off the handle. And I, I really enjoyed that, that she's not just like the heroine of the story. It, right. Um, and like you guys have said, that's part of what like Gerwig's movie feels, it feels the most modern, but it also feels the most faithful to the book because Yes. The conversation that Joe and Marmy have about Joe's temper and how Marmy is, says, says, like, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not angry. Like, that's a conversation taken directly from the book itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so the narratives of the sisters, both individually and together, are presented so wholly in the book. The book, as we've said before, is Little Women. All four sisters get their own narratives and arcs, um, which adaptations have always struggled with. Um, I think that Greta Gerwig still, you know, definitely uh, focuses mostly on Joe, but much less so than any other adaptation and does mm -hmm. does sort of state in its thesis that all four are are important and all their narratives are valid um, and worthy of of uh exploring yeah I and think, so i think she raises both joe and amy to be yes. equal levels sort of and i think me. yeah she definitely focuses on their storylines the most and um hones in on like how they're foils to each other which i yes. found really interesting and i like that a lot yes joe and amy mm -hmm. are actually very similar mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. they're both very passionate and headstrong um and that's part of why they clash but so yeah so um 
I, similarly to HT and Joe, um, I've seen all the adaptations of Little Women. I've enjoyed parts of all of them, and I've thought some of them have always fallen flat in other places. Like, there's not ever been a perfect adaptation of Little Women. Um, also want to give a shout-out to the miniseries of Maya Hawk because I really yes. enjoyed that miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Gerwig does come the closest to being the most perfect, you know? Um, even if um, I am one of the people who who notoriously ships Joe and the Professor and not Joe and Lori, I've never shipped Joe and Lori. They would be a terrible couple, or Amy and Lori are a perfect couple. Um, and I've always shipped Joe and the Professor, and I love the relationship they have. Um, I, I like I liked that the end of this movie sort of played with that. I like that it both paid respect to people who do ship Joe and the Professor, but also to the fact that like the greatest accomplishment is Joe in her novel first and foremost, and that you can interpret the ending in different ways, but that all interpretations are valid. Um, also, I'm never going to stop saying this, but like all the readings of Joe being queer are the best readings. Joe should be queer. However, the professor is still very lovely. And so the professor, simply put, should just be a German woman. Like, it's really not that hard, people. I... I there will never be a perfect adaptation of Little Women until I get my queer Joe with my like lady professor. I, that, that, I'm saying it. I'm that would have been amazing. I think Gerwig's adaptation also gets the closest to the queer uh, interpretation of mm-hmm. Joe too because yeah. they really um, uh, up her androgyny. And mm-hmm. this is something that I, I really liked about um, just I was reading interviews up leading up to Little Women because I was so excited about this movie. And Greta Gerwig in a Vanity Fair profile talked about how the wardrobe for uh, Joe and Laurie were very intentionally androgynous uh, yeah. and doing mm-hmm. so that like they even switch clothes with each other. And you see uh, Saoirse Ronan's Joe wearing a lot of like vests and um And pants and button-ups. And And, uh, you see Laurie, meanwhile, wearing something. Sometimes things that are much more, like, flowery and a little bit more gentle. And I liked that... dichotomy that sort of like contrasts a lot and uh, or rather that complimentary uh wardrobe a lot and i think that it was I also i don't know if she intended it there's mm-hmm. definitely a gender commentary there but i also feel like there's a class commentary there mm-hmm. because the flowery more gentle clothing that laurie wears can also be seen not just as gentle but genteel yeah and the mm-hmm. fabrics he wears as being more expensive and how you know tromping around in pants and waistcoats for joe are probably also cheaper to be made um, with like rougher fabrics and so mm-hmm. I think there's also something to be said for the fact that Joe does not have the means to wear as nice of clothing as Lori yeah um and what that means um I really liked that wardrobe choice and um I also like yeah. that it was subliminally almost uh made it out that Joe was never attracted to Lori because she wanted to be Lori right mm-hmm. while Lori did like love her but right. um, she always mm-hmm. wanted yeah. to have the freedom that Lori has mm-hmm. um and I do I just one final thing before we get to you Willoughby um I just want to say um I know that shipping is a bit of a battle in this fandom um and that some people consider the professor to be just kind of like a, a moral old fart um and not great for Joe um, but I want to say I've loved him since the start, and while I wish he were a woman, um, I really like the actor who played the professor in this movie. I thought he was, like, lovely and charming. I love the fight that he has with Joe. 
Um, cause it shows how he's good for her, how he not only, he doesn't force her to grow, he helps her to grow. Mm. Um, and people who have read the later books will know that he, uh, he starts taking on like more responsibility at the school to let Joe pursue more of her writing career. And so he's extremely supportive of her and her ambitions. And so I just want to say, I love the professor a lot. And I thought the actor who played him was delightful. Louis uh, Gagan. Um, and I know. <laughs> the very yes. dreamy yes. French actor. So yes. dreamy, playing a German. <laughs> um, it's all the same accent. So yeah, I know. It, yeah. Not really, um, but. <laughs> if there are any French <laughs> or German speakers listening, please do not take offense to To Americans, it's said. all like a sexy European accent. So Now she's mm. just making Americans look bad, too. <laughs> hey, we um, do that on ourselves. Thank you very much. That's true. We, we do do that very well ourselves. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I just, I love Professor, and I know it's a contentious subject sometimes, but that's who I am. Yay! Yay! All right, Willoughby, we've been talking a lot, and yes. we want, I want to hear what you think about Little Women. You're kind of the newest entry into the Little Women fandom, and uh, you recently watched the 94 film, I know, um, right before you watched the Greta Gerwig film, and um, I remember you liked both. And so just tell me what you think of what you thought of Little Woman, Little Woman before going in and uh, what you think of it now. So I uh, am, I watched the 94 movie right after the first trailer for the Greta Gerwig movie came out because I was like, because there was a whole, like, I wouldn't say uproar on my Twitter, but like everyone was talking about it on my Twitter about like how great the trailer was. And I'm like, it was a phenomenal trailer. It got me wanting to, for the first time, like ever read Little Women. So then... I watched the 94 movie so that way when I read the book I sort of have an, an impression of what the move of, of what the story is um just that's just how my brain works like I like to have like scenes in my head like kind of pre-made so like watching the movie was, was helpful just like in terms of like distinguishing who's who so I watched the movie and I thought the movie was like lovely it was like very nice but also the the second half where they're adults sort of it was it reminds me of that um John Mulaney joke where it's someone writing a happy birthday sign and by the time they get to they write h and a and b like h and a and p really big and then they get to the second p and y and they have to really start shrinking things down because i feel like (laughs) they really started to speed things up with the adult side because the love story between amy and and laurie really sort of came out of nowhere for me i was like oh they're just like oh they're together now i guess as a means of a convenience like what's going on here so like it seemed really super quick and like off screen it all happened and like yeah it happens off screen that they get married and this one too but it's their relationship is much more developed by that time that you're like oh yeah of course they're gonna get married so like when Christian Bale comes strolling in and Winona's like oh Lori you're back and he's like I'm married to your sister it's like oh boy oh wow okay (laughs) um so that was really I mean like and like I, I will say Christian Bale and Winona Ryder had an amazing chemistry and their scenes together were very phenomenal. And I, and so, like, I was, like, very, like, much on board. I'm sorry, with did story. you not see Winona Ryder and Gabriel Byrne? Excuse me. Sorry, Excuse I, me, agree. I agree with Willoughby. Sure. I, think, I think she I, and Christian Bale had better chemistry. And that's Gabriel part of the Byrne, reason why the 94 sure. film doesn't it always work for me. Real, it was, he was way too paternal in the movie for my taking also there's an age difference of like 20 years and that's just sort of no thank you um even though i know the professor's supposed to be 
I know the professor's supposed to be older, but like at yeah, least Gerwig with the Greta Gerwig film, they aged him down. But I also think it was like easier for for audiences to take in that Saoirse Ronan would date someone who looks like that. I don't know. Okay, it all just... I'm saying is that there are equal parts women who have their sexual awakening at Christian Bale in Little Women, and equal parts women who have their sexual awakening over Gabriel Byrne in Little Women. Do do not. It... I don't know about equal parts. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like one in and I'm twenty, and you're the one. I... Yeah, it's... you're supposed to be on my side. You like older men. Yeah, but I watched the '94 version too young, and I honestly like. I'm sorry. When I was young, I really loved Lori and and Joe. I can't help it. I think that what how they ended up now is right, but you know, I can't deny my younger self. You know, it's like. Yeah. And Christian and Bale is so, so perfect. Okay, so after I read, after I watched the movie, I went back and I, I read the book, and I really, really loved the book. I thought it was like, just like I love the way it plays with format and how like mm-hmm. some chapters are just letters and like, and like like to Amy from abroad, and you're just like getting like the update on like what their lives are like from their person from their perspective so I thought that was really neat and fun in a way of just sort of breaking up how the book is made and I know the book was made originally as two separate books um that come together to be little women and I really like that thought that like you know you can sort of see that like the way that kind of plays with time and whatnot is really interesting uh and Greta Gerwig definitely plays with that in the movie um, and, you know, when I got to, like, I definitely, I mean, you know, we're all talking about who, which March sister we are and I'm definitely Lori. Um, like mm-hmm. I definitely like, uh, like, uh, I mean, as a, I mean, just as a guy, like he's like sort of the perspective I like move naturally towards but also he's got like unrequited love, which I've definitely experienced. And also just like more female friends and male friends that's definitely been a um uh, a theme throughout my life uh, case in point this podcast um and so it's just sort of been like oh it's and then when he gets the big like uh scene with joe and how they sort of their friendship sort of dies down after laurie sort of uh pulling putting it all out there was sort of heartbreaking i was like oh buddy it's gonna be okay uh you know because just looking at forward in time like it's all going to be fine uh and i really thought that the the development of the relationship between laurie and amy was really cool in the book sort of how she he was he was like he had to be whipped into shape and she did that and they come together in a really nice way um and i i I sort of agree that i don't i mean like i sort of agree i think ht you were saying like you're of the position that joe should have just been with nobody at the end of the book and that her and like her sort of goal is the book um and not romance and i think that the movie it does a really interesting job of sort of expanding that idea and being like that's like her book is her main focus but also she's lonely and like everyone can experience loneliness and it's you know it's sort of like you know it's it's something that i don't think the winona movie ever really touched upon um and i thought that it was just it's sort of it was wonderful i really enjoyed 
reading it, it was definitely not something I ever thought I'd read just because I'm a boy. And, you know, it's, I mean, that's just sort of how my brain works. And I'm just like, I don't, you know, but then like the movie trailer really got me interested in what's going on. And so I did that and I read it and I watched it and the movie's really good. And it's one of the best movies of the year. Um, and I don't know if we want to talk more about the movie now in general and sort of like a mini review of it. But I wanted to start off saying that I thought that the editing was phenomenal. And I really hope that the that gets best editing nomination because and this is something that I picked up from Ladybird. Uh, Greta Gerwig and her editor really know how to land scene transitions and just cutting from like one one specific scene to another and having it land heartbreakingly or just, you know, sort of like different, like like a way of just sort of putting a period at the end of a, of a chapter and moving on to the next thing. And and it, it I, I, I was like stunned. Like there were like there's this one sequence and we're not really spoiling a 150 year old book here, but Beth dies. And there's a sequence where as Gerwig has been playing with time this entire movie, you see a flashback to when Beth was sick and then she got better. And then she and then they go to the present time, I guess, or flash forward. And you see the same exact sequence of scenes, same hand movements, same art, same like everything is blocked out the same exact way. But Beth has passed away and it's really heartbreaking. Like and Laura Dern just has this like heartbroken face and you're just sort of stunned and left in your seat, just sort of wondering, like, what the fuck happens now? Um and I really think that that's an example of just how great, how great the way that she decided to break up this movie and not do it chronologically. Um, and so that way you sort of get an overlap of scenes from the from the past and the present at the same time. And it plays with time because like if you're if you if you've never read the story before, which I almost didn't, I almost I when the movie was coming out, like when I knew it was coming out, I was like, oh, I'll just re watch the movie. And then I got really intrigued and watched the, and read the book. But, you know, there are there are a lot of mentions of stuff that doesn't happen until 90 minutes into the movie that like Amy and Lori reference five minutes into the film because it takes place in Paris after after the childhood of, of these people. Um, and I really think that that's a really interesting way of breaking with tradition of a little women adaptation as far as i know i've only read i've only watched the two movies um but i've but like from what i've heard of reviews like breaking it apart and doing the past and present simultaneously is sort of new um but overall i thought it was an amazing movie and i think all the performances were excellent um i really loved that one scene that anya you referenced with laura dern and sersha about how, how angry she is almost every day. And it's sort of like, you know, you can, it's definitely like something that was written in 1861, but also relevant to today. Um, and I really think it was just, a, it's a lovely movie. And it's, you know, it's one of those movies, it's, it's, it's a tearjerker, but it's not playing it as a tearjerker. It just sort of lets these, mo these moments happen naturally um, in a way that it's not pulling at your t heartstrings, but your heartstrings are pulled. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my long-winded yeah. review of Little Women as a whole wanna, from a straight white male's perspective. <laughs> I want to what we needed. Said, um, um, and I I think you know, and I want HT and Joe to weigh on this. Um, 
we've, we've talked about Amy and Joe and how they're the kind of the co-lead to this film and compliments to each other and parallels and all that. Um, but that part uh, will be referenced, um, speaking of another Joe and Marmy conversation, um, at the end of the film where Joe talks about how was she too quick to re reject Lori, um, and she talks about how lonely she is. I think Greta Gerwig nailed that in this movie because, you know, you can see the the uh, professor chase, you know, and it's very rom-com nature as being fiction, um, as being what the editor wanted her to put in her book, or you can see it as the reality. Um, you know, again, both interpretations are valid, but the most important thing is her novel. But I like that Greta Gerwig doesn't shame Joe for being lonely, because Joe, you know, the person who said this whole time she doesn't want to get married, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, you know, Joe is sort of supposed to be a stand-in for Louisa May Alcott, and Louisa May Alcott never married. But I think there's also validity in the idea that Joe is someone who can have said these things for all her life, and that your desires and your wants change as you grow up. And I think that the idea that having ambitions and that loving the life you had is not mutually exclusive with growing up and deciding that there are things you want alongside your ambitions, that her falling in love with the professor is not, while there is the element of like, right, the editor made her put it in the book and et cetera, et cetera. When you read it in its earnestness, there's nothing wrong or to be ashamed of with Joe falling in love with a professor and she can still write her novel and have love. And it's, you know, it's why the letter she writes Laurie at the end is not because she's in love with Laurie, but because she thinks that he's her only prospect and that he's the only one who's ever shown her interest. Um, and so she thinks that's her only chance to not be lonely anymore when, you know, Beth has died and Meg has married and Amy's in Europe. And, you know, so I, I like, you know, I'm a romantic at heart. So like, I'm always going to root for that. Um, anyway, like, I, I think any ending for Joe alone, queer with the professor, I, I love all of them, to be honest. Um, but I really like the idea that there's nothing to be ashamed of with your desires changing and that you can still be an ambitious young woman and also be lonely and also want love. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I remember being uncertain about that choice uh, for uh, Joe to write Laurie a letter saying that she, you know, misses him and would take him back because I was like, because it felt to me a little bit out of left field when it was so, it was so um, revolutionary for to have Joe, a main character and a woman, a novel that like catered to women to reject her main love interest and to go to like go back on that felt to me like it was like giving in to some of the expectations for this genre but I I think that the Greta Gerwig builds to it so wonderfully in emphasizing Joe's loneliness and it's not just about Laurie but it's about wanting to have someone anyone and um, it's done not just through uh, Joe's really moving speech that I hope Saoirse Ronan gets an Oscar for because it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But it's done through a lot of some of my favorite choices of this movie and it has to do with like the coloring of the film. The warm glow of childhood literally made into a glow versus the stark whites and grays of adulthood that feels so much more barren and empty. And that, you know, the constant chatter that you hear in the childhood scenes um, in which like the 
the, ch- the sisters are always talking over each other and interrupting each other and there's a constant flow of dialogue and you don't always understand what they're saying but it becomes almost like this comforting background hum and that suddenly being gone in the adulthood it just feels like that loneliness is pervasive through all the adulthood scenes and it really goes to emphasize Joe's loneliness in a uh, um, a visual and audible way. So yes, I think that it really uh, builds up to that decision. And then, of course, um, her her sort of romantic, um, her romances never feel like they're undercut by her own like career or vice versa. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Anya. I do too. And I think the fact that it's lifted not directly from the book, but it's based on a conversation that Joe actually does have with Marmee in the book in which Marmee asks her, do you regret your choice? Do you regret not saying yes to Laurie in the first place? And Joe, I think, is a little more self-aware in the book. She she very neatly ties it together in the chapter in, in which she says, you know, if he came back and asked me, I would have a different answer, but it's not because I feel any differently about him. It's just because... I feel lonely and I, I, I feel bereft because nothing is the same anymore. And we've just lost Beth, you know, which I think is so valid. And I think it makes so much sense for her character as well, because the entire book, all she's ever wanted is to keep other course to strike off on their own. So inherently, it's a state of things that can never last, just like childhood can never last, you know? And um, yeah, I think that, in addition, lends to the timelessness of Little Women, because you have to give up childhood things and become an adult, but also find new ways to negotiate your relationships with everyone that you grew up with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I really love the the change up of the structure in Greta Gerwig's film too and it feels to me so much more than a gimmick um for all the reasons that we've been talking about till now because it 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 makes the themes of the film and the story just feel all the more stronger and the most devastating notes feel all the more devastating and um I think it also creates a a new parallel between Amy and Joe's story that I never had really traced before because even in the book, I still felt like Joe was the strongest presence. She was kind of the the anchor of all the stories because it was her always trying to recapture that childhood. I mean, she even does it through her book and tries to keep that family together, like you were saying, Joe. Um, but here you get to see a really interesting parallel between uh, Joe and Amy, um, like Anya was saying, two very similar complementary personalities who are both headstrong and yet have different dreams for themselves that um, the film validates and gives so much nuance to. And mm-hmm. I, I really love that whole Joe and Amy uh, parallel and how they're the emotional through lines of the stories. Um, but we, we do get so much more. I feel like this film lends so much more of an interior life to all of the characters. Um mm-hmm. Marmy especially I feel like I remember the book was always about the sisters and all the other characters were kind of on the periphery and Marmy here is given so much more depth in some some of like the smallest interactions like when you see her with uh Mr. March the father the patriarch of the family you see her kind of having some being annoyed with him and um telling him off and I think those tiny moments really add a richness to her character that I'd never seen before and uh an unusual like a a 
a, a vulnerability that I hadn't seen before because she was always such this warm maternal character that you know forgave and helped her daughters through everything and here we see some of more of the some more of those weaknesses and those flaws and I, I really love that um and I I also really liked the um since we had much more of the adulthood and it was interwoven more um strongly through this film we see two meg's later life which is something that we never see in the mm-hmm. book she kind of just disappears after she goes off and gets married meg's the mother now she's <laughs> yeah. gone yeah she's gone but here we see her struggling with her finances and having to reconcile um her ideal ideas and ideals of what married life should be and those riches and wealth that she aspired to um with like her current financial situation i think that is actually in the book oh is it it is in the book. Yeah, yeah it is in the book because like you get you, you get to meet um her children demi and mm-hmm. oh Daisy. Yeah. um and they're the the whole bit with the dress versus the jacket yeah. is a plot in the book yeah. um and that's the thing is like there are chapters like i think the thing people forget is that um little women is an omniscient narrator mm-hmm. book um there are there are chapters where Joe's not in the chapters at all. The chapters in Europe, it's not like they cut between Joe and what's happening elsewhere. It's like the chapters are just in Europe with Amy and Laurie, and there are mm-hmm. chapters that are just Meg and John and mm-hmm. them adapting to their life. The book is a very long, and B has chapters dedicated to each sister individually, where the others yeah. don't appear at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, I, I think. I think Gerwig is just taking the best parts of Little Women that the ad- other adaptations either don't regard as as important mm-hmm. or what. So yeah, for um, sure. yeah, and that's that's kind of where I come with with Amy. It's just like it, it's it's funny because everyone's talking about Amy now, and I think part of it is Florence Pugh because she's having an amazing year and she's an incredible actress and we love her. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also this is the Amy that I've seen for the first time that feels most like book Amy to me. Um, you know, and speaking of impassioned speeches, her speech to Lori about marriage and economics, but also when Lori is first about to, you know, tell her that he might have feelings for her and she tells him no, because she says, I've been in love with you since I was a child and I'm not going to be second best to Joe. And like, that's the Amy, you know, in the book in Europe. And we finally get to really see her shine like that. And so, you know, I think that's part of why I love this movie so much is that it just feels so much like the book. Yeah. 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 And I totally agree with HT in terms of the brilliance of the editing and the writing and having Joe and Amy truly be foils to each other in this movie. Because I think in a lot of ways, their adult selves are almost sliding doors versions of each other, you know, wherein Joe gets to be the artist that she's always wanted to be. And Amy becomes the woman of society who marries Laurie and, you know, establishes a family for sure and um, achieves like that kind of stability. And both choices are absolutely valid. Neither one of them is wrong or right for choosing one thing or another, but um, it is, it's kind of a different perspective on what each of them might have had, you know? Like what would have have been like if Amy had just kept plotting forward Mm -hmm. and kept being an artist? And what if Joe had married Lori and tried? um that whole avenue but um yeah I don't know what else I want to say about it but I did I did think it was very very smart and I liked that Gerwig um framed it as 
your childhood self is always in conversation with your adult self. And she was very good at pulling parallel and placing them side by side throughout the entire movie for all of the characters. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, I I really liked, too, Amy's uh, sort of realization that she would never be a great artist. And at the beginning, you see both of them declare what their dreams are. Amy says that she wants to be the greatest mm-hmm. artist that ever lived. And Joe says that she also wants to be the greatest writer that ever lived. Um, and Amy comes to the realization later that she has ta- she has skill but she doesn't have talent and that's what leads her to give up on those dreams and choose a more practical avenue or what she deems more practical and that's marrying for for money and that's something that the aunt march and always emphasizes too that she will be the one to save her family because um i think this film also is able to hone in on like the the dire economic circumstances of of the family and how like they really do need to marry for money or else they will be um sort of impoverished forever which i i think that the other films never really get into just because it's all about that nostalgic sheen even in the 94 version where they are impoverished and there's um sort of a charitable bent to all of their actions um i think that this film balances all of those things in a really interesting way and um, makes Amy's sort of own choices and actions more understandable to people who, you know, wouldn't consider that before. Um, And I do actually want to talk about, I mentioned this before, but the sort of like the internalized misogyny that a lot of people have when they um, uh, interact with Amy. So for a lot of readers and a lot of fans of Little Woman, Joe is kind of the easy protagonist to root for because she kind of exemplifies all, embodies all of those more masculine traits that female protagonists who are most beloved will often have. I, you, think, you think of like the Aryas, for example, versus the Sansas. And it's the ones that have the more feminine qualities or the ones that um, don't ascribe to some of those more like uh, tomboyish factors because to- Joe has always been described as a tomboy that are derided and I think that's that's a really uh, prevalent reason that Amy has been so um, disliked by so many for so long um, I've just I, I think a lot of times she's been described as like one of the most hated literary characters when she's done nothing more than like be a brat and burn a manuscript and um, <laughs> it's it's something that I I'm I definitely like have been able to grapple with in my most recent like viewings of of Little Woman and coming to terms with that. And I I hope that like this new version of Little Woman will be able to like make people realize that as well. Also, just saying, Amy should have always gone to Europe. Sorry, Joe, but she was going to appreciate it way more than you ever would have. So that was always the correct choice. Just saying. It's true. Amy always deserves to go to Europe over Joe. Always. Well, it's like, especially uh, there, it wasn't included in this adaptation, but in the book, at some point, they're going around and someone asks Joe about how she's getting along with her French, how she feels about different circumstances and new situations. And Joe's being really cranky that day. And she's like, nah, I don't like any of it. I don't speak French. I don't, whatever. (laughs) 
And it's just, she's, she has the wrong temperament, for one thing, to be a companion to Aunt March on that trip. And she's also just one of those people who is, for better or worse, unbending and unyielding. So if she ran into adversity while traveling, I don't know how well she would actually handle it. You know, she would probably cause an international incident and kick off World War One a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, probably. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I find, I mean, I'm just going to keep thinking about Joe and Amy because Joe mm. has always been kind of a woman ahead of her time. And Amy is very much of her time, but able to act, uh, keep her own uh, principles uh despite, you know, like, bending to society's, you know, expectations more. And um, I think that that's just as powerful as a woman who is as, like, unyielding and indomitable as, as Joe, who also has her own flaws, as we've, as we've seen in the book, and as Gorbrig's adaptation brings to light more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Amy's like, I know what the, what, I know that the system's rigged, mm-hmm. but I'm going to play the system as well as I can. I feel like that's her sort of like that speech to Lori where she's like, I know like I have to marry for money. Like that's the problem is that like my kids are going to be his kids. And like, and so it's one of those like very self-aware monologues in a period, in a period piece about like, that's like commenting on the times as well, as well as commenting on today. But I think it's really well, well written and well like focused on like the circumstance that Amy's in and Lori's in and that they're all in together and just sort of like where they're at in their lives. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I love that speech. That's the one that kind of, that really turned me around to Amy. And um, I also, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, Anya, your observation about Lori, I want you to to state it. You heard it here first, folks. Lori is a sub who wants to be stepped on by every March woman he meets, but mostly Joe and Amy. <laughs> you might say he a wants to be marched on. <laughs> <laughs> he would like to be marched on, but let it be known here, folks, that Lori is a sub and Amy is a dom. Yeah, and I think that's why Timothy Chalamet is really perfectly cast in this because both Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh look like they could eat him alive and he would enjoy it. Yes. And he really has that pining look down. Whether he's pining after Joe or he's pining after Amy, he just looks like a sad puppy all the time and you're like, Lori. That, <laughs> that okay. boy's like a Chris. He can pine. <laughs> uh... <laughs> no, I agree. I think Timothy Chalamet is very good in this movie. Um, and he's got he's got he's got a physicality in him that I didn't see in Call Me by Your Name or even Lady Bird that really made me want to be like say like oh he should definitely do like a Charlie Chaplin biopic um, and I tweeted that and I angered the old Hollywood fan apparently because <laughs> I got someone to, someone quote tweeted me that with their bio was just Charlie Chaplin's stand account and I was like okay fuck wild already and they just said delete this tweet and I was like oh oh. And they got four likes and another retweet. And I was like, did I anger some, did I ruffle some feathers here? Like, what's going on? Um, but no, I definitely think that he can do, he could do like silent performances. He could be, he's a very physical actor. 
Um, and he also looks like Charlie Chaplin. So I don't know what people are, what's wrong with that. Yeah. Um, Charlie Chaplin was a good looking dude. People forget that because he was so funny. Yes. Also yeah. that entire Pickwick Papers uh, uh, um, scene in which he's being, you know, mm-hmm. exactly and all those things. Yeah. I see what you mean. That's sort of when, that's sort of when I realized it, but then also like his scene with Joe in the field where he's being very, 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 very physical. And then also him sitting really oddly in that one chair in Paris with Amy was like, oh, he could just do, he, he should be like in physical comedy, like, like, or, you know, do more with him as a, as a, as a body of nature or something. I don't know. I would love uh, that. But, mm-hmm. but also perfectly timed as HC once said that he, uh, he's a Victorian sick boy that just needs to be fed some soup. He really does. Um, I just want to feed him soup. It's the perfect time. He's he's period accurate this time. Yeah, he looks. Yeah. I mean, I just yeah. want, I'm I'm gonna be like really shallow for a second. He's just so beautiful in this movie. <laughs> when he first beautiful. shows up, I was like, God, he's just a it's like a painting. That bone structure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like smile I, and the fact that like you first see him with Amy, mm-hmm. and I thought that was also perfect. And in slow motion too, with that coat. Okay. <laughs> I'm just very jealous of the Gen like, I'm, Zers. I'm giving this to all the ladies out there. <laughs> I'm just very jealous of Gen Z. They have some great, you know, heartthrobs going on right now. Timothy Chalamet. Um, Chalamet's a Zach Efron, you hear that? Oh, HG is calling you out. You were not a good enough heartthrob for millennials. She is calling you out, Zach Efron. <laughs> he was... Um, I will yeah. say... I'll I'll say that I don't know if it's just the fact that the role is the same role, but like Chalamet was definitely channeling some Christian Bale ness to it, and maybe because he's worked with him before, and he's probably he probably oh, yeah. watched the '94 film. But I, I could definitely like there was definitely something about him that reminded me of the '94 glory, mm-hmm. um, it, either as just just to, as term in terms of like performance or whatever but like i was definitely like oh he definitely probably watched this at one at one point wait when did he work with christian bale oh in a in a western um called hostiles yeah it came out right after it came out right around call me no, by my name like a month I remember, after. I remember when that movie came out and it like came and went and oh, oh wow yeah, I, oh, what that was, was that, didn't leave a cultural imprint not like yeah no I, it's interesting. I don't know if I if I felt the uh, Christian Bale channeling. I think I just felt Laurie channeling. Yeah. I just I think Timmy just I was mean, perfect for the character of Laurie. That may have been it. That yeah. may have been it. They just may have been really good at channeling that character. But I definitely like it, you know it's I, my brain is like, am I seeing him as Laurie or him as Christian Bale as Laurie? I don't know. It's just a, but, but I but I don't I don't want to take this as it's not negative. Like this is completely no, of positive. Not. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, Christian, Christian Bale, Bale was also a great Laurie. So. Yeah. Like they both, they both just channeled the character very, very well, which is great because Lori is a heartthrob to so many people. So it's like, all, all the Lori fangirls deserve a good performance for Lori. They do, and Timothy they deserve gave that. It. Um, speaking of Twitter hot takes, uh, I want to ask you guys about the recent discourse about Little Women and diversity. Oh, oh. Oh, I'm ready Hold for on, this Sarah, conversation. Sarah, let's do it. I want to say first off, um, I also just, there was the other discourse, which I think we'll all agree on about the fact of male critics not going to the press screenings of Little Women because oh, yeah. it's like a lady um, film. And I think we'll all agree that that is bullshit. Yeah. And uh, the discourse around that and the misogyny around this film is 
terrible and awful. And why do I have to watch so many movies about like boys coming of age and be told they're universal, but girls coming of age can't be universal. Oh, mm. I agreed, wonder why. Agreed, agreed. There's no discourse around that. Men are wrong. No. Yeah. Except for Willoughby. Yeah. The, the, the discourse is men are wrong. Yeah. Except for Willoughby. Willoughby. No, I'm also wrong. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm but you, wrong. you saw this movie and loved it. So. Yeah. And you read I the did. book and you watched I'm the 94 right version. That. You've done way more work than all the other men refuse you to have. do. So, so yeah, we're, giving, we're, giving you, we're giving you props for uh, crossing the bar, which is just laying on the floor. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I do. I, I, I'm always like, please don't compliment me because I'm doing the bare minimum here. <laughs> well, I'm going to do it anyway because you're our friend. So we like to compliment our friends. Yes. But anyway, speaking of the fact that this movie is very, very, very white mm-hmm. for no reason. Uh, I, have, I have a few thoughts about that. Um, so... there, are, there are people of color in this movie. I will say that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There were, I, there. yeah, there were there were more people of color in it than I actually expected there to be. Anticipated? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like in that in that in that bar scene where they're dancing around. Yeah, um, that scene, which was so lovely, and I wanted more of it. Yeah, the one so that's, that's, the one black character who actually had like two lines, who worked with Laura Dern with Marmy. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, the woman who worked there, and mm-hmm. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could not believe my eyes. <laughs> And then they clearly had black students at the school at the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think my thoughts on it are, so I don't know if it started with the Teen Vogue op-ed about how white Little Women is, but that's where it started for me. That's where I saw most of the discourse uh, s- stemming from, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I went ahead and read the Teen Vogue op-ed, just to get a clearer picture of what the writer was actually trying to say. And I think she had interesting points in terms of how Laurie could have been mixed or a man of color. Um, I think in in a similar way that people have mentioned before, that maybe Jay Gatsby could be a man of color, and it would be very interesting because then you would understand his desire to enter in society the way other people have and the ways in which he might have been barred. Um, the reasons why Lori might gravitate more towards the March sisters because they're the ones who will stop to give him the time of day. And I think back in the day, Italians were viewed differently ethnically. Um, they weren't considered fully white. So, I mean, they could have cast someone who was darker for Lori anyway. In that sense. But I also think Little Women is a very white story. I think it a lot of its context setting it, I think, specifically during and after the Civil War, it's impossible to escape from the historical implications of it is a privilege for them to have their biggest concern be, am I going to marry well? Mm-hmm. You know? And I, it, it feels disingenuous to, to place people of color in those roles and be like, oh, well, I'm going to go to this house party and I will immediately be accepted. Okay, that doesn't seem like something that would actually happen if everyone at the house party is also white. But if you also make it peopled with other people of color or a wide mix, it's, it's also strange, like the racial politics of that, because that's untrue to the politics of the time. And I think... It's untrue in a way that grates against me for some reason, because it's also like Little Women has an inherent 
coziness and inherent safety about the story that it's telling. And there are, Louisa May Alcott has contemporaries of color around the same time that we just haven't heard about. You know, like Mm -hmm. people of color have been telling our own stories for a long time. They just haven't been elevated as much. They haven't been paid as much attention to. They haven't been studied as much or dissected as much. And I think being honest about the fact that these characters are operating from a place of privilege and they know where they stand in society while also acknowledging that we could just be elevating these other voices who existed at the same time I think it's it's an ongoing conversation it's a conversation that we seem very reluctant to have and by we I mean Americans specifically because we still haven't fully reckoned with our racial history Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways you know like we still there's you still have people who think that the civil war wasn't fought over slavery Mm -hmm. you know like we don't agree on very basic facts and I think that to me is why I sort of resist the idea of making little women colorblind, you know, colorblind casting. Because when you bring up something like Hamilton, for instance, where you you place people of color in the roles of iconic white people in history, that was a reclamation from the ground up, right? Mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda created that specifically to say people of color have always been here. I'm demonstrating to you that these are the people who actually built the country and through like casting and the genres of music that I'm using to write the show I am telling you this message it's a very intentional thing he didn't do colorblind casting he did very purposeful intentional casting mm-hmm. and so I I don't know. I think if you're going to do, if you're going to drop people of color into little women, you need to engage with the racial politics of the time, because otherwise it feels like you're falsely trying to paper over the realities that people of color faced in that time period. And it's not that I wouldn't like to see warm, cozy stories with people of color. It's not that I don't think that they didn't exist back then, even with the harsher circumstances that people of color faced. It's just kind of like I don't know. I think we haven't done enough reckoning as a country and as a people and as a society with like what our racial history has been for us to do that. I think you hit it completely on a nail, Joe. Um, I mistakenly waited into this conversation earlier without having with on Twitter. And uh, it was something that's very messy to talk about and still very messy. And I think a lot of it has to do with how little you know this is our fourth feature film at or third feature fourth feature film adaptation of little woman and um there's so many other adaptations like this is a story that's being retold when we could be raising up other stories by people of color about people of color and Mm -hmm. i do think that um it is you know probably a little odd that Little Woman is about a family of avowed abolitionists, and yet there aren't that many, you know, people of color even in the background that are mentioned in the book. There are some more that are in the movie, which I think Greta Gerwig, you know, tries at least to intentionally do. But um, the idea of recasting Little Woman uh, in a colorblind way, I think, is disingenuous because it ignores the very specific story and the very specifically white story that this story that Little Woman is telling, and I think it's specific in on two levels, both on 
the level of Louisa May Alcott's original story and in Greta Gerwig's own very limited perspective. There's been so many Mm -hmm. conversations about like whether directors should stay in their lane, whether they should um, cast more people of color or whether they even have the ability to tap into cultural specificity that they did not live in or grow up in. I don't know if Greta Gerwig has that ability. She has been criticized for casting very white in her films. Um, Mm. But I also think that she is telling the stories that she knows how to tell. Mm -hmm. And I think that Little Woman is stronger for that very Mm. personal approach from her and, you know, from Louisa May Alcott as well. So I do think, like, you know, you can always have more diversity, but Little Woman isn't particularly the story that you could at least have in a significant way. If you have just like more background characters or if you insert characters for for the sake of diversity, it would just feel like it's pandering or tokenism. And that's something that I think would be unsatisfactory to everyone. Um, If there were a modern day adaptation of Little Women, I think you could go for having much more diversity and much more Mm -hmm. representation. But um, I think it's redundant to have that conversation around a film that is set in uh post-civil civil war and, po- and post-civil war america and i know that like have talk saying it like that makes it sound like you're saying like oh there weren't people of color during this time period living in like concord massachusetts and privileged upbringings and i'm sure there were and it's not but that's not exactly that's not what this film is about if that makes sense right mm-hmm. i think i yeah. wanted to add i think i think you both hit it exactly that like it's all about intention mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. i think i think there are multiple things that could be done here like there are multiple layers that we could be uplifting the uh uh people of color like their voices who were writing at the time of leaving Mount alcott queer voices who were writing at the time um all these voices we could up- be uplifting their work i'm also i am in favor of taking classic texts and just completely you know, like saying, like, I would never saw myself in this text, but now I'm going to, you know, put myself in it. So, like, I mean, even as someone who advocates for queer Joe, like, I wouldn't necessarily know if I would want her to be queer and just to say, and that's that, or if I would want to grapple with the fact that gender and sexuality during the Civil War were, you know, not just something that Joe couldn't have just, like, run off with a woman without mm-hmm. there being a discussion about that, especially given how, like, Christian Louisa May Alcott was and what her upbringing was with Christianity and so like right I think like I would love to see a queer Joe but I also think the intention behind it has to be has to be thought out Um, and I think there's a difference right between creating original pieces of text historical or modern with diverse casts versus putting diversity in texts that already exist Um, I think it can be done like I, I think I think you could have a historical adaptation of Little Women with an entirely, like, uh, family of color, but you would have to consider things differently. Just, like, people have talked about the upcoming adaptation of Emma by Jane Austen, which I'm excited for because I love that novel, and it looks like a fun adaptation, but it is an all-white cast, and Mm. people are like, well, why couldn't it be, you know, more diverse? And it's like, right, why couldn't it be more diverse? But I also would want to see people consider the diversity um, before just plopping them in mm-hmm. because like with a character like Emma who is uh, relatively an unlikable character 
you know, if you made Emma a woman of color, then you have to then reckon with the fact that Emma has a lot of very negative traits. And what does that look like? You know, or making characters of color and classic text be the characters that are, you know, poorer than your lead characters. And what does that say? And so I think it's possible to kind of revolutionize these texts, but there really has to be thought behind it. I have to say, I think that um, one title that kind of fails in reckoning with diversity despite having a really diverse cast that are like excellent in their roles in is The Handmaid's Tale. And mm-hmm. it does this kind of yes. colorblind casting that doesn't reckon with how that casting actually works within the world because in Margaret Atwood's novel, it's a very puritanical Christian sort of um, tyrannical society that takes over America. And um, it's sort of hinted at that, like, people of color are sent to camps um, in, in a way that is that sort of is makes sense within, like, this world that she's created. But in making some of the lead characters people of color, it does the show itself doesn't actually um, address what that their um, – what their race means for like this character and how it actually like works within the world. So I think that mm-hmm. like that's a an instance for example where they have diver- colorblind classing but doesn't necessarily work uh, for the text. Work with the text. Yeah, yeah, and I mean even something like the Hunger Games, uh, it didn't quite. They did send out purposely a casting call for white actresses for Katniss um, at the beginning. And I remember that being really contentious, rightfully so, um, because Katniss didn't have to be white. I think the story arguably makes more sense when she's not white. But the book also had other elements, too, where it's like all the people of District, what was it, 11, were essentially, you put Black people back into the slavery, mm. and we're just not going to talk about how that happens. Yeah. It just feels like background um, when yeah. it should be like the center of conversation or at least something that's like right. the te- that they wrangle with in the story. Um, so, yes, I think those are examples of how not to do it and um, yeah. what could potentially happen if we just pushed for diversity for the sake of diversity in a film like Little Women. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's a difference between representation and uh, pandering. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, what else? Do you guys have anything else you want to add about Little Woman? Willoughby, you've been really quiet, mm-hmm. and um, I feel like we've been talking over you. Is there anything else? Like, do you have anything no. else you want to say? Like, that's great about Little Woman because we have kind of ended on a little bit of a, a contentious note. Not contentious because we've all kind of agree, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe no, bring agree. it back up. <laughs> um, the the I I I just want to like shout out to the performances in the Greta Gerwig film I feel like everyone include I mean like we haven't really talked about um Eliza Scanlon or Emma Watson but I both think that they were they did a really good job of being those characters um you know it's it's weird you know it's it's weird that you know Emma Watson as will always be Hermione so it's always a little weird to see her not as Hermione it's sort of like any character from Mad Men any actor from Mad Men showing up in not mad men just seems weird like i like don like still like john ham showing up in a movie i'm like oh there's don draper <laughs> like mm. it's always gonna be like oh there's there's hermione granger but i think that she was still uh 
really good. There was that one scene. It was the it was the the scene where they're in, inducting Lori into that group. The she does she got to do her normal British accent, yeah, which that I was, was like, funny. <laughs> I always yeah. I always really find it. I always find it really, really, really. This is like a really personal niche thing for me. But like, I always like when British or like a, an actor who is like American accent isn't their native accent, and then they go back and they, for like a scene, like they get to do their original accent. So like, when like Doctor House on House does a, a British accent, it's like, oh, Hugh Laurie is British, so he gets to like just do normally. So like. Emma Watson, it, like, it took me a second to realize she was doing a, nor- a British accent, too, because I was like, it just seemed normal to me. I was like, oh, she's doing a British accent here. This is wild. Um, I kind of wanted Search to do an Irish accent when in that scene, because I think that would have just been, like, a little fun play on the fact that, like, no one here is actually American. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I thought Eliza Scanlon was American, too, but she's actually Australian, I think. Uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. Florence Pugh is British, mm-hmm. so yes. it's... This weird Laura Dern is the only American here, and Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Um, uh, also, Chris Cooper. Shout out to him for being just the most, the most like, empathetic character. Like one of the most empathetic characters. Like I did not see that coming. Um, Mr. Lawrence is wonderful. He has always been wonderful. Mr. Lawrence and Beth make me cry in the book and other every adaptation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really um, love the, the Mr. Yeah, Lawrence and Beth storyline here because, especially like when she thanks him for the piano, and then later when he says, when after she dies, and he's like, "I can't go into the house knowing she's not there," yeah. and it broke yeah. my yeah. heart, broke my heart. Um, <sighs> and Bob Odenkirk shows up. He's Bob Odenkirk. He doesn't really do too much <laughs> to like give up. He's not bad. He's just Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, With sideburns. I, I thought, I thought, with sideburns, I thought him and Laura Dern were cute together. I was like, oh, they're, they make, they make a, a fun parental unit. Um, but yeah, I think that the movie was like really, really well done. Uh, I hope it wins a bunch of Oscars. I think editing, it's definitely my number one for editing right now because I just think that they just didn't knock it out of the park there because um, it is a complicated story to tell, especially when you're breaking, when you're breaking it apart and then overlapping it and overlaying it across two timelines. Like that's... That takes some Christopher Nolan-esque uh, level of constructive editing, and I think that uh, Greta Gerwig pulled it off. And she pulled it off with Lady Bird, too. I am so excited to see more Greta Gerwig films. I think that yes. she's got such a phenomenal career ahead of her um, as a director, as a writer, as a, as just a storyteller. Um, there was a tweet that someone was like, can you imagine if we were getting season seven of the How I Met Your Mother spinoff with her right now <laughs> instead of Lady Bird? And Frances Ha, as well as uh, um, uh, Little Women. I'm just like, yeah, that's that's wild. <laughs> um, yeah, the movie's great. It's a great movie. It's a great story to tell and retell. So I'm glad. I'm glad I've journeyed into the, these these waters, these Little Women waters. Yay! Yay! Yeah. I think you put yeah. it wonderfully. Um, yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to say to finish off our Little Women discussion? I will say I read somewhere the original draft of Greta Gerwig's script was 170 pages long, and I was like, give it to me. <laughs> Film it, you cowards. Um, I hope there's an extended edition. That'd be fun. Give me all the deleted scenes at a three-hour extended version. I think her script was yeah. actually going around. Um, I got sent, I, got, I think I got it sent to me, so I might send it to you guys. It's Ooh. like on some WordPress thing, so. You guys can read it, yeah. 
She yeah. she wrote the script before Lady Bird, and then she directed Lady Bird, and then was like, I'm going to direct the wi- Little Women too. And they were like, oh, I guess you have a blank check now, so yeah. go for it. <laughs> Basically. Uh, yeah, it's an excellent yeah. screenplay. Yeah. And I will say, I think back to the internalized misogyny point, um, it's interesting because a lot of the reasons why people hated Amy are the same reasons that they hated Meg. Mm. Or they think that Meg it's really boring and i if my only real criticism of the movie is that while it did give more screen time and consideration to meg and beth with a couple small alterations it could have really really like made their arcs feel more complete mm-hmm. you know yeah um i think a lot of the choices that greta gerwig made to collapse scenes together was really smart but one place where I felt it was a little weak was uh, when John came to reconcile with Meg saying, you know, I'm taking your kids. Don't worry. You stay here. This is your job. Um, you worry about your family right now. I think that felt a little rushed because she collapsed that with the, oh, I sold the silk and now you can buy your coat. And I think that was a little mm. that could have taken a little bit more time. You know, I would have yeah. been OK with having a few more minutes for that scene. Um, just for them to fully hash out the different things with maybe John not properly co-parenting and then also Meg learning to negotiate their limited finances. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's a really important part of the book. And it's also one of the ways in which that Meg and John kind of subvert traditional expectations, you know, because they do become more equal partners and he does help raise the children and she does become better about not caring about superficial things because she knows that she has what really matters. She has a loving husband and she has wonderful children and, you know, um, that's just, it, it falls in the same theme of like what's actually important. And it's also part of her arc of growing up and realizing, well, yeah, of course she saw her parents do the same thing, where they married for love instead of money. But she doesn't actually understand the mechanics of how it would work, you know, how much yeah. they actually gave up um, in order to be together. And I think with Beth, it's so funny because I sort of, in my own notes, I sort of phrased it as like the Amy and Meg problem is also the Susan Pevensey problem. Ah, um, yeah. Yeah. But Sansa Stark is a good one, too. Um, I think the difference is they're not vilified in in the text the way Susan was. Oh, Susan is so vilified. I think it's, it's <sighs> very um, significant that the Chronicles of Narnia is written by a man as opposed to um, Little Woman with, with Louisa May Alcott, who actually understands all different kinds of female characters. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, in my notes, I kind of put down the Beth March problem is almost kind of the Superman problem where people don't know what to do with characters who are inherently good mm-hmm. and kind for its own purpose and who don't necessarily want anything in return. They just want to put as much good out into the world as possible. And um, I think in the book, there's a little bit more where I think there's a scene where Joe wakes up and she finds Beth crying and it's indicative of Beth's fear about dying, but Beth doesn't want to say that that's what it is. And I think Beth's arc is so much about finding her own source of stillness and finding bravery within herself to face whatever her future is going to bring, whether that's a shortened future as opposed to everyone else or 
whether that's, you know, soldiering on through more years of this long illness that she has. And um, I think it's really notable that she becomes kind of an anchor for the rest of the family. She's the first one to say, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with this. You're going to be okay. And you don't need to look after me in this way anymore because I'm okay with it. And she's not. Obviously, she's still frightened. But it's so brave of her to try to say that it's okay for her family's behalf. So I think maybe like one or two extra scenes again on Beth's part to fully convey that would have like really brought her arc full circle. But um, yeah, yeah, I think those those were the only little teeny tiny um, fine tuning problems that I had with the other two sisters in the movie. Yeah, I actually agree with you on Beth because I think that she could have had more of a complete arc. I feel like there's a bit of a jump between her getting sick and her kind of accepting her fate um Mm -hmm. and uh there is so much more to her in the book than there is than than just being like sort of the moral compass and the conscience of the family even though that's what she often is reduced to uh she's so saint like that it is hard to convey that on screen um but yeah I, i would have loved to see some more of the of beth and her vulnerability and um just kind of her the full circle arc that she goes through Anya, anything else that you want to add about Little Woman before we uh, wrap up our discussion? No, I think I'm good. I think we covered everything. Um, I agree. I think Beth could have had more. She felt a little underwhelming, even though Eliza Scanlon is great. Um, And I'm just so happy that Amy finally got the justice she deserves. (laughs) That is what I will be talking about for years to come. So that's going to be, that's taking me my happiness into 2020. Yes, and I give you permission to use me as the prime example of how Things have turned around for Amy. Things are looking yes. up Milt House. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, that will wrap up our discussion on Little Woman. Uh, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. So, Joe, uh, as our guest for this week, what is your really like in pop culture this week? So, my really like in pop culture this week is The Expanse. I don't know if any of you guys watch it. I've heard of it. Yeah, I've seen the first two seasons. I've heard of Um, it as well. I just finished season four. Um, It's so, so good. It's one of the very, very rare sci-fi shows in particular where most of the female colors say just about every single named female character is a woman of color and they all have important and different roles on the show and it's so fascinating to watch them navigate politics and navigate family dynamics and all of them have like unconventional family dynamics as well you know so um it's about found family it's about shenanigans in space um the politics are so interesting um i think it has a lot of relevance to what we're going through right now actually um but it's really rad it's really stressful (laughs) it's also really rad um and so i've i've really enjoyed that awesome i hear a lot of great things about it and everyone's always telling me to watch it but i don't have time (laughs) The list, the list of things to watch slash read slash play slash consume is never ending. Uh, but Joe, where can people watch The Expanse? 
You can watch it on Amazon Prime now. It used to be on Sci-Fi, but it got canceled, and then Amazon picked it up. Um, and it is fairly short. It's only 10 episodes per season, so. Okay. I have no excuse. <laughs> nope, we don't. We have no excuse. All right. Willoughby, what about you? What is your really like this week? Um, I saw John Mulaney's new comedy special called John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Um, and it's absurd and sincere and funny and also like downright like you know I wouldn't say heartbreaking but there's little moments of like heartbreak where you're just like oh this kid said something very powerful that I was not expecting um, and the sketches are hilarious the songs are hilarious uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is shows up at some point and just kind of is the most unhinged Jake Gyllenhaal I've ever seen. Like, it's so funny. Uh, John Mulaney, it, we've talked about him on the podcast before. He's so good. He's so funny. Um, and this this show is sort of like, it's sort of parodying, but also an homage to like children's specials of the, of the, of the past. Um, but, but like the kids are really self-aware and they're really funny. And John Mulaney's got like this, like sort of like, He's like a host, but he's also like it's sort of funny to see him like being like quote unquote overwhelmed by these kids. Um and it's just it's really it's really, really niche and it's really like not for everyone, but also it's so I I had a great time watching it. It was so funny. Um there's just like he John Lane just says like a lot of a little asides to the camera or to to himself and I just like was chuckling the entire time uh it's called John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch and it's a Christmas special from Netflix okay it's not really about Christmas but it just aired on Christmas Eve there's like one reference to Christmas but it's like you can watch it any time of the year all right probably catch up on it before New Year's yeah it's only an hour yeah oh only an hour okay never mind maybe I should watch it then yeah. No, excuse. <laughs> no excuse. No <laughs> excuse. All right. We'll especially appreciate it as a new New Yorker because mm. there are some references to New York that are very funny. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, it's very, very yeah. New Yorky. <laughs> All right, Anya, what is your really like this week? Okay, so my really like is this movie out called Cats. Oh my God! Wait, this is a <laughs> historical moment. This is the second time in two weeks (laughs) that Anya has mentioned cats. The thing is, you've been tweeting about cats all week, so, like, I believed you. I believed you, too, and I think that it's going to be cats. We can just see Um, We'll end it here. Anya's really like for the week is cats. No! Uh, Ripped to to succession, but it's all cats now. (laughs) Succession was my best friend, but now now it's cats. Trying to make a funny joke, and now I'm just getting dragged again. (laughs) (laughs) What is your funny joke? Dragged through the cat litter. (laughs) Um, Anyway, my actual really like is Good Boy Ben Solo. (laughs) Oh. And that I need a hero video. That's not actually my really like. I just wanted to mention Ben Solo and how much I love him and how he is literally my life. Um... Guys, I'm in so deep with Ben Solo and Adam Driver. I just wanted to say that it's it, he's my phone background, my desktop background. Is he really? That's hilarious. Twitter, my Twitter profile header. Like, whoo, whoo, I'm in deep. Um, I have a question, Anya. Would you love Ben Solo as much as you do now if he wasn't wearing the boyfriend sweater in Rise of Skywalker? 
I think I would only because the thing that really got me in when I first saw Rise of Skywalker was yes the sweater but also just seeing how much Ben Solo is Han son like him running in with a blaster and like no lightsaber and I was like oh my god he is Han Solo's child and I that gave me a lot of feelings because I love Han Solo and I would die for Han Solo feminist Han Solo um so seeing that Ben Solo is his father's son gave me a lot of feelings so I think I would um but the sweater helped he's just going to Space Gap being like I'm gonna pick up the sweater Space Gap I'm gonna go fight Palpatine I'm gonna go you be know, a hero. Here's the thing, Anya. Here's the thing, Anya. He's he always wore that sweater. Yeah, he but did he ever wear, did he ever wear that sweater as Ben Solo? No, we only ever saw him no. wear it as Kylo Ren. Did he ever wear that That's sweater? True, I don't remember that sweater. It's underneath his it's underneath his arm. Right, and like you've also never, you've never seen him wear it like alone. Right, like, he's either been fully clothed or shirtless. Right, you've I never seen him in, in terms of Ben Solo outfits. The uh, high waisted pants still <laughs> takes the top. Obviously, so all I'm saying is yes, he's had this sweater, but he's never worn the sweater, just the sweater alone, as Good Boy Ben Solo. No, so he like, shed his Kylo Ren outfit, and now Anya, he's what if ben he Solo. wore the sweater with like tucked into the high waisted pants? Even better, <laughs> even better. Then he's more of a good boy. <laughs> He's my goodest boy. Um, this actually wasn't my really like either. I just really wanted to mention Ben Solo. Wait, oh, I yeah. thought he was. You said you really like his Ben Solo. No. You're taking us on a journey. Just twice. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted Anya, to mess with you guys I, because my entire life right now is the cat soundtrack and the Ben rules, Solo. You are flouting the rules of the really likes right now. I only allow you one really like, not two joke really likes and a really like. Anya, you are light speed, you are light speed skipping through your really likes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Frank Sinatra. Jesus Christ. I'm Winston Bishop all in here. <laughs> and you're all going to be mean to me. I'm not even going to eat my final, cake. <laughs> the final episode of the decade. And you pull out with a Winnie the Bish reference right at the end. I'm very proud of you. New Girl. One of the best shows of the decade. I was just gonna say that yes. Bishop, one of the best characters of the decade, most underserved by his writers. Truly, yes. But Malone... Okay, um, I, I, I can stop. I don't have to say a real really like the end of my year. It's just been a shit post of Ben Solo and Cat. So that's you know, all. I feel like this. Yeah, just say what it really was gonna be. My really like was actually gonna be the fact that I watched the first season of Dairy Girls on Netflix, and it's a really delightful, <gasps> funny show. And I think it's really, really great. And it's only six episodes per season, so you have no excuse, HT. So many shows. That's extremely British. It's it's six episodes, and they're they're half hour lengths, and it's so funny. And it's set in Derry, Ireland, in the 1990s during the Troubles. So I love that it's both funny but political, and you know, socially aware. And Dairy Girls is really great, and it's on Netflix. Um, and I'm gonna go cry about Ben Solo. You know what? I feel like this really like is is just like very fitting for you for the end of the year. Just on all of Anya's shit posts, <laughs> and then like you know Dairy Girls and actual. Yeah, can you like... wait? Ooh, can you do a comparison between? Can you do a comparison between Kendall Roy and Ben Solo? Ooh, oh, they're both ooh, sad boys. That's ooh, why. Oh, oh my damage! My they're both damage. sad. They're they're both sad boys from powerful families. Oh my damage! Good boys, but they're both good boys. Oh. <gasps> I bet oh, you no, once I watch Succession, I'm going to be weak for Kendall Roy, too. I can see it. I already know it's going to happen. And I Solo. Got, oh, you will be weak for Kendall Roy. He is so sexy and so good and so sad. And I got Kendall Roy stickers for Christmas. 
I didn't know they sold those. <laughs> I have. I have Kendall. I have, I have a sticker on my water bottle and a sticker on my laptop, too. Anyway, we send a picture of those. I would very much like to understand. Uh, HC, what's your really you like? Know why, you know why I don't have time to watch all of these great, excellent shows? It's because I'm watching the latest not, part of Terrace House uh, Tokyo 2020. Uh, <laughs> your tweets about this season have been gold. They've like, been great. No one's liking so them good. because no one watches Terrace House but me. <laughs> I don't watch it, but I'm so like, my sister does. Okay. It's like me and some random celebrities watch it. Like, I've gotten into a conversation, like a 15 minute conversation with Dan Trachtenberg, the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane, about Terrace House. (laughs) And um, he loves it. Wow. Yeah. It's great. Um, This season, actually, I'm not as like fond of the castmates as past seasons. But I, you know, I'm, I, I can't help it. I love this ASMR version of a reality show where they talk about going on dates and eating food and talk about how they've gotten to know each other and how they model for a living. It's, it's great. And also, there's a new cast member um, who appears in this part, uh, the most recent part of uh, to- of Terrace House Tokyo 2020 leading up to the Tokyo Olympics who I love his name is Pepe uh, which is short for Giuseppe he is Italian the first Italian cast member on Terrace House he is um, a foreigner living in Japan who decided to come onto the show and he's a, man- a manga writer and um, he is adorable and sweet, and I love him. And he is getting a he guy recently had a manga, his first manga published, and he's just so happy. And I, I'm following him on Instagram. He posted recently a, a Instagram video about how his manga got published and how he like found it in the convenience store, and it's sweet. I just want him to follow his dreams. And um, yeah, so I love him. <laughs> And uh, there are more athletes in this part, too, which I was really looking forward to since it's like Tokyo 2020 Olympics coming up. I'm like, where are the athletes? They finally have two athletes on there, one of which is a female pro wrestler and the other which is a um, really chill basketball, pro basketball player who's gunning for the Olympics. So are they very excited. competing in the Olympics? Um, well, the basketball player are they wants just to. Athlete? They're just athletes, but the basketball player wants to compete in the Olympics. So think he is trying oh. to go for the, to- the tokyo 2020 ones so we'll see it's quite exciting romance is oh. in the air career you know aspirations be, are all i really the hope place. i really hope i really hope they do cross promotion with mario and sonic at the tokyo games i would hope so um too. i just like that they keep making those games every every olympics there's a new mario and sonic at the <laughs> olympic games it's so funny um <laughs> i hope they uh do it in cross promotion with the new sonic movie which I'm sure will be one of our really likes at some point. Gotta go fast. But yes, that is our really likes for the week. If you want to join us and chat with us about any of these things, including Little Women, uh, the movie, the book, any adaptation, or anything that we're really liking or you're really liking, uh, like The Expanse, Terrace House, Whatever I talked about, who who knows? Just come talk to me about Ben Solo. That's all I want to talk about right now. So just talk to me about him, and everything will be fine. Um, Willoughby, what was your really like? 
It was John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch with lovely, wonderful, colorful jokes about New York City. Um, come chat with us about anything and everything, but mostly Ben Solo. <laughs> that feels like an You can thing. do that. A... You, you could find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also at Tw- Falcon Podcast on Twitter. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Uh, and where can they find you guys talking about Ben Solo on the internet? You can find me at Bui on Twitter, probably not talking about Ben Solo, but talking about Zuko instead. Because I love him, and he has. Yes. A Did you see story. that great thread that compared? Did you see that great thread that compared Zuko actually to Finn and not to Ben? Interesting. Ooh. I did. How, how he's actually how he's actually more akin to Finn. That's interesting. I, I should it. check that I out. Um, you should I, check that out. I'll tell you about that in a sec. After I wrote first. my article on uh, comparing Kylo Ren and Zuko's redemption on SlashFilm.com. You you should you should. I'll, I mean, it was a great that. article. It is a great article, but I'll tell you about it after we finish recording. Um, but anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Anya Crittenton, where I will definitely be talking about Ben Solo and Adam Driver, and not at all cats. <laughs> and uh, Joe, our lovely guest, where can they, or I guess Willoughby should go for I'm, I'm all over the place, you guys. I usually finish it. Joe, where can they find you on the internet? That's true. Sure. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Yao. I'm usually talking about diverse books, um, but I talk about a bunch of things, too. Sometimes I yell about politics, and uh, I have my own podcast, which is called For the Plots, and it is viewing pop culture through a feminist lens. So It's a wonderful, wonderful podcast. Please check it out. It's so good. Thank you. And and you can find me roasting Anya Crittenton at Willoughby Dobbs about cats. That is true. He roasts me all the time. <laughs> all right. And uh, well, thank you for joining us for this two-hour podcast about Little Woman and cats. Yeah, it's a pretty long episode. You guys <laughs> had a long commute today. But uh, we hope you enjoyed your holidays, and we hope you guys have a happy new year. Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next decade. Ah! Bye. See you next decade. <laughs>